This is the One Accord podcast, a show demonstrating the unity that we have in Christ, even though we might uh, disagree on some of the positions we take on theological issues. And so if this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad that you're here. If you have uh, been with us before, you know that last time we had a, a little bit of a spicy topic and there was some uh, disagreement, uh, at least amongst the team members. But we're here again because uh, we care about each other. And so uh, certainly there's no hard feelings on my end. And let's bring in uh, Pastor Eric Love. Pastor Eric, uh, you and I, we disagreed a little bit uh, uh, back and forth last week, but it's good to see you again today. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing uh, better than I have been doing the past couple of days. I've been pretty sick the past two days, um, but uh, I'm feeling better today. Not 100%, but better than I was. And uh, no hard feelings for me either. And uh, when you said a little bit of disagreement, that was somewhat of an understatement, but, uh, but it was, but, um, but I, I'm okay with that. I, I can, I can live with that. Yeah. Well, the importance of our uh, agreement in Christ for me, and it seems for you as well, goes much, much beyond, uh, our, um, positions on other matters, even though that's not to say that those other matters aren't important. And so, of course, I understand that your passion comes from a place of being, um, serious about the Bible. And, and, and I think you know that that's true about me as well. And so even though we do disagree on the conclusions that we drew, um, that doesn't diminish the importance of those issues we were just talking about. But what we agree on is so much more important that, uh, again, I'm delighted to see you. I'm sorry you're not feeling well, but uh, it is uh, very nice to see you today. And I do anticipate that you and I are in more agreement today. So that's nice. Uh, then maybe you and I can tag team to uh, pick on Greg, who's also here with us this morning. So Greg, how are you today? Hey, good morning and Merry Christmas, both of you. Yeah, I'm doing great. I see what you're trying to do there. So <laughs> I'm not going to take the bait. That's all right. Um, but uh, oh, so uh, actually, bad. I wish you would. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it was uh, uh, funny after the show uh, you had mentioned and uh, you, you said that you didn't mind me uh, bringing it up. But you, you know some people who have uh, watched some of the conversations that we've had and maybe don't know the relationship that you and I have, um, but that have actually said to you that they uh, anticipate that this uh, is going to ruin our friendship. So uh, are you uh, worried at all that us continuing conversations like this is going to ruin our friendship? I, I have absolutely no worry at all. You and I have, um, oh, we've, in, we've enjoyed a relationship like this. I mean, obviously not filming it, and but our wives have sat in audience watching for <laughs> many, many, many hours of of our discussions like this. So I, well, they're I, smart. They often go to the other room so they, they can they, talk about something they, else. Because yeah. women love that. discussions that men have. We all yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, so we can mansplain everything to them. No, they, uh, <laughs> they enjoy getting together, but uh, they often do. Uh, um, sometimes we have uh, uh, non-theological conversations, but um, I don't blame them. Sometimes I want to walk into the other room while, while yeah, we're having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will say that uh, my least favorite part of these conversations is the filming it part. I've enjoyed having these conversations with you for um, the entire time we've known each other. And I anticipate that uh, as long as uh, we're both still drawing breath on this, uh, uh, in these earthly bodies, that we will probably continue this. And so I likewise share uh, uh, zero concern that this will ruin our, our friendship. But that's not to say that I, I, I can't understand why people might think that, you know, I mean, if anybody oh, sure. watched, especially our last episode, um, you know, th there are, um, those are the types of conversations that they can ruin friendships and they have divided churches and they have done that before for and, sure. And when you, th when you think about it, it, it seems like, you know, first of all, let's admit our culture can't civilly disagree on anything. No. Um, but the church definitely is not immune from that. And perhaps we could even say that the church is, ex is extra sensitive to that. You know, uh, you look across the Christian landscape, at least in America. And if you aren't agreeing on everything, it seems like you can't be friends at all. And so I, I think that's, one of the reasons we're doing the format we are, isn't it, Joe, yep. that, that 
we are trying to demonstrate. We, we went into this fully knowing that we were going to disagree um, and we're doing it on purpose. Yep. No, I have in, in my life, I have some people who I am in much greater um, theological agreement with on all the particulars, you know, people that I'm in, in fellowship with on a regular basis. We study the Bible together more often than, than, you know, I have opportunity to do with you guys just if for nothing else, simply because of geography. And, um, you know, I anticipate that if, if we were in closer proximity for all of us and we had the opportunity to spend hours and hours, um, you know, each week looking at the Bible together, instead of coming to this, where we're just talking about our conclusions, but we were actually doing the process of studying the Bible together that we would have uh, probably greater unity than we, we do have. And so instead we're doing that in our various respective groups. And, um, because I know you guys, uh, you weren't the only guys that I had talked to. Mike is another guy who's, uh, you know, joined us at least once and hopefully he'll join us again in the future at some point. Um, but guys that I know are, uh, committed to following Christ, but do th see things differently. And, and I value that in my own life. Um, even, you know, even from just using last show as an example, um, while I disagree and still disagree with the position that you guys were advocating for, um, you did help me to at least see some areas in my own um, thinking that that um, weren't as developed as they should be or that needed to be studied more or or areas that uh, after our conversation, I mean, I spent a good amount of the day, I, you know, after I went and got some uh, frozen yogurt and ate it at the beach uh, because I had nothing else to do, <laughs> I, I finally took some of that uh, spare time and and uh, looked into some of those other issues and um, spent a lot of a lot of time on Saturday as well, looking into um, a couple of other things and and you know I appreciate that refining in my own mind that that um, having conversations with people um, who are serious but who disagree, um, I find that to be incredibly valuable and and I hope that you guys do, do as well. And so um, I, I got nothing else to add on that, but uh, but that is the sentiment of the show. And today might be a, a little bit uh, uh, spicy as well, although I'm not sure. Although I do think that, Eric, you and I agree, as I said, a little bit more uh, today than we did last week. Uh, I think that Greg maybe is the one who who possibly has a little bit more pushback, but we were about to get into it and we had been going on for such a, a long time. And so we didn't have time last time. Last time we talked about who is Israel, trying to answer that question, biblically speaking. And today we're going to jump into a related question or the natural continuation of that what is Israel's place in the future? And so, uh, Brother Eric, maybe we'll kick it over to you to maybe give us a, a quick synopsis of what we talked about last time. And then uh, you were at the end of the last video, um, time kind of uh, kept us from allowing you to kind of go into that last aspect. So then we'll let you uh, uh, take us from there into this, uh, this new topic, related topic about uh, the future of Israel. Sure. Um, well, I, I, I want to begin in a place that I didn't begin at uh, last week. And I want to begin in Ephesians 2 uh, briefly. And this, this thing that I'm presenting right now is going to launch right into um, Romans 11.26 about uh, Israel being saved in the future, as I understand it. In Ephesians 2, uh, starting at verse 12, Paul says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers uh, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who have, were formerly uh, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, now, uh, the implication in that verse is that uh, the Gentiles were separate from the commonwealth of Israel, or we could say separate from citizenship in Israel. But through the blood of Christ, they've been brought near. And the question is, what does it mean that they've been brought near? They've been brought near to what? And uh, one thing we can rule out right away is that uh, they haven't been uh, 
They haven't become citizens of natural Israel because Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2.12, this is a new man, not the old Israel. So what they've become part of is not, not national Israel, but, but something new. And I believe that uh, Ephesians 2 and Romans 11 are talking about the same thing. I think they're both talking about uh, merging Jew and Gentile together into one body. That's what uh, Ephesians 2 says, Ephesians 2.15 specifically, and also Romans 11 with the, uh, the Jewish and Gentile believers being grafted into the olive tree. Um, so uh, so the, because they're talking about the same thing, I believe that, that uh, Romans 11 explains what this new man is in Ephesians 2. And I think the new man is the church. Um, uh, and I, but I would also say that in Romans 11, the church is represented by the olive tree, which was an Old Testament symbol for Israel. And so there, there is a sense in which the church uh, is Israel, not national Israel, but, um, but Israel in the sense that the church is now the covenant people of God. And I think what ha- what I, how I would explain it is, uh, Paul says that the, the uh, unbelieving branches, that is the Jewish um, branches that rejected Christ, they were broken off, and uh, Gentile believers have been grafted in. And uh, this, this olive tree, prior to this happening, prior to the Jews being broken off and the Gentiles being grafted in, the tree before this was Israel. Uh, but being attached to the tree uh, required one to meet the conditions of the, of the covenant. And at that time, that was the old covenant. In order to be attached to the olive tree now, you have to, be, uh, you have to meet the conditions of the new covenant, which is faith. Paul says that in Romans, I think it's 11. 22 or something. Uh, so the unbelieving Jews have been broken off. Believing Gentiles have been grafted in, but the tree is the same. The root's the same. The trunk is the same. Uh, and some of the branches are even the same. The only thing that's changed is uh, the, uh, some of the branches. There's, there's more Gentile branches now than Jewish, and before it was the opposite. Uh, so I think that, um, I think that if we... Uh, we recognize that uh, Ephesians 2 is, uh, is clarified or um, more fully explained by Romans 11, we can, uh, we can draw, at least in my opinion, a reasonable conclusion that uh, the church is in some sense Israel. And we are, the Gentile branches are part of the tree. Uh, we're, actually, Paul says in Ephesians 2.19, we're no longer strangers and aliens which means we've now become citizens of this, um, I'll say this new Israel. And I, I didn't mention this last week, but I, um, I'll mention it now. Uh, the Bible also describes the church as the new Jerusalem. At least I think a, a good case can be made uh, that the church is, is the, this new or heavenly Jerusalem that's mentioned elsewhere. Um, and uh, Israel language is applied to the church. Um, so, for example, uh, uh, Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, are the seed of Abraham uh, through their uh, unity with Christ. They've all been spiritually circumcised, and uh, circumcision was a distinguishing mark of an Israelite. So, for for all these reasons and, and other reasons, I think that 
I think that the church uh, is is the I'll say the the new Israel because Paul says new man in uh, in Ephesians two fifteen, and the Israel language that applies to the church you know, makes me I think believe that that's the case. Now the question then is well if the church is Israel, does that mean that natural Israel or national Israel, whatever you want to call it, does that mean that they have no future in God's um, eschatological plan? And eschatological just means his his plan for the end times. Does does that mean God has rejected Israel outright? Um and they're just they're they're done and God's not going to deal with them anymore. Well some amillennialists uh say that that's the case. Um I actually don't. I actually hold a a weird a weird amillennial view and um i i don't believe it's necessary or biblical to say that that god is done with uh, natural israel and when i say natural israel i don't mean that god simply uh is still saving jews because that's really too generic and i think everybody already knows that but i believe that the bible actually says that there will be a, a large inclusion of jews into the church in the last days, and um, uh, we can we can talk about the case for that. Um, and I want to, um, I can hand it off to you, uh, Joe. What is that? I know you you disagree with the, the previous part, but um, is that how you see the um, uh, the the plan? Is that there the Jews? There's going to be a inclusion of the Jews into the church uh, in the last days, or do you see it differently? You know anybody who's interested in the the previous discussion we had? Obviously, it was a, a long one, and they can they can watch that whole video. Um, as you rearticulate just the 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 broad sweep, um, you and I agree on on so much of it. Where I push back is simply that I, I do not believe, um, and this kind of gets even to you know Greg Greg mentioned we're not going to agree until we share a hermeneutic. I don't think that Romans eleven clarifies Ephesians. I think that Ephesians clarifies Ephesians, and I think Romans clarifies Romans. I, I don't know that you are, are intending it to, to sound like that, but I think that when I read the book of Ephesians, and uh, there are 20 statements at least uh, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 of Ephesians of that prepositional phrase, N, uh, in him, in Christ, in the beloved, uh, that are constantly talking about being in Christ, that these 20 references just leading up to the statements that you were talking about in Ephesians 2 are showing us that all of these things, what we've been brought near by the blood of Christ into, is not Israel, but is into Christ. And of course, Christ is the product of Israel. Christ is the promised Messiah that came to the nation of Israel. But because I don't view Christ as Israel, I view Israel as the bringer of the Messiah that now Paul is talking about previously um, if you wanted to be brought near to God and to have any of the promises, you had to take on circumcision, you had to go under the law, you had to move to the land. It was always in that. It was in Israel, and now it's in Christ. And so my pushback is in saying that then this body uh, is Israel, um, because the Bible doesn't say it. I think that we all at least agreed that we have to make a cumulative case. And as you mentioned, there is language that talks about um, heavenly Jerusalem being a land that Christians are looking forward to. There is uh, discussion about circumcision, the true circumcision versus the, the circumcision of the heart. Um, and 
I agree with all of those things, but I mentioned it in the previous video. I'll just reiterate. Um, I do not think that because there is a lot of language that can describe um, parts of uh, God's covenant with Israel, that that uh, is exactly the same as saying that then we are Israel, because just because some of the parts apply, even many of the parts apply, um, that does not mean that the whole applies. And so to, to use terminology that the Bible doesn't use, um, I do not believe that that's a, not a, a necessary inference. I don't believe it's logical. I believe it's actually illogical to draw those conclusions. Um, and so the, the biblical identification, I think where I would differ is not in really the ultimate outcome. Um, I believe that really participation in the old covenant, uh, the, the condition, if they're, you know, if we want to use that language is very similar to the condition in the new covenant, that it was by faith, which then if we look to what Romans 9, 10 and 11 is talking about is that when Israel didn't believe, um, they were cut off. And when, uh, Gentiles who formerly were far off did believe they were grafted in and brought near, they participate and become partaker partakers in the promises that were initially made to Israel. Um, and that God is still saving, um, both believing Israel and believing uh, Gentile, that he's made these two, but that distinction needs to be maintained. He's made these two into one new man. It's not uh, two bodies, it's one body. And then by maintaining that distinction, um, it's part of the, the question that, that, you know, again, when we get animated and stuff, I, I think sometimes, you know, I can do it. I can miss what you guys are saying or miss what you're asking me. Um, I think you guys missed, you know, what I was asking you. When Israel was broken off for their unbelief, they're still Israel. If we're broken off, we're still Gentiles. And so to say that we're spiritual Israel, like they're, they are Israel, whether they believe or don't believe. Um, they're not the church, whether they believe or don't believe. That's what I think the language is saying. That's what I think it's clearly stating. And we might have disagreement on that, but just for clarity, that's the position that I hold. And so when I say that God still has a place for Israel and still has a purpose for Israel, I'm still talking about the same group. Um, I'm not equivocating on the terms or using Israel for the church ever, although there are members of Israel in the church, just like there are members of the Gentiles in the church. Um, Israel, in my mind, always remains Israel. And yes, I do believe that God uh, has currently and will in the future have a place for national ethnic Israel. So I, I hope that at least clarifies the position that I've got and, and maybe at least I, for anybody who's watching now uh, to see the difference between the views. Because again, it's, it is a largely in semantics. I think we, we end up in almost the same spot, but there is, there is consequence in these things. So sorry, go ahead, Greg. Yeah. So you have a lot there that I want to interact with, but I, I want to zoom in on one statement. You said that when Israel is broken off, they are still Israel. With mm -hmm. the Gentiles are broken off, they are still Gentiles. Um, and I want to affirm that that's true in a sense, but in a, in another sense, in the sense in which I'm bringing this argument, um, you are in disagreement with Romans 9, 6, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So for you to say that even if they're broken off, they're still Israel, yes, ethnically, but we have to I think, I think we have to grapple with the fact that that the Apostle Paul is in disagreement with your with your statement there. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So, um, it, and this gets really complicated, right? And it does go back to hermeneutics, and it goes back to the hermeneutics a lot of times of of prophetic language, right? Um, we would, I, I, and I say this, <laughs> including myself, 
if we were standing there the day that, that Paul and Peter and especially Jesus um, talked about the fulfillment of prophetic text, we would be going, whoa, 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 you're taking that totally out of context. What, you know, you can't apply that here. You can't. Um, so, yes, there's a sense in which if Israel's still broken off, they're, st- they're still Israel. But you have to grapple with they are not all Israel. Who are, well, who are what I would say Israel. is that I'm in, I'm in disagreement with your interpretation of that verse. I don't think I'm in disagreement with Paul, with what Paul said. And, um, you know, Romans so tell 9, me how, 6. T- tell me how, if, if it, yeah, I'll ask this. In what way, according to your hermeneutic, is, are they not Israel? Because Paul does say they are not Israel. So, so yeah. help me understand how they're not Israel. Yeah. So this is, there's no way to discuss this without getting into technicals, technicalities of the, of the interpretation of the Greek. And we didn't really get into it last time. Um, this was one of those issues that I, I dug into even more after our last conversation. I did put some, um, you know, overlays on the last video just to try and clarify, you know, you know, my, my translation of this. Um, and I don't want to, I don't know how many people we're going to lose if we just start trying to get into the nitty gritty of Greek grammar and stuff like that and, and pretending, you know, whatever. Um, I'll ask you a quick question and then I have a very, um, hopefully for everybody, something that they can consider. And then I'll give a, another example that really only if you have studied Greek that you can consider. And, and unfortunately, like may, maybe we lose some people at that part. I'll put a chapter thing. They can just skip the, skip the Greek conversation if they want to skip it. Um, but have you, uh, cause I know that you have some facility with Greek. Have you done much, uh, study in this or are you just reading it, um, as it's printed in your English Bible? Yeah. Like have you, have you translated this? No. no. Okay. Um, so, um, here's my sur- kind of more superficial, um, surface level thing that everybody can identify. Um, it sounds to me like you're saying that I'm in disagreement with Paul, that Paul is saying that they're not all Israel. And yet if we read Romans nine, 10 and 11, he continues to use the term Israel to talk about this group of people. So to say that he's saying that they're not Israel and then he keeps calling them Israel, I think is contradictory to your position, not to mine. I'm saying he is still calling them Israel because he keeps on using the term Israel. So um, that's the more superficial uh, answer. And I think the context bears that out, that I think that you are misunderstanding the sentiment of, of 9-6 and that I'm understanding it correctly. Eric, do you have something that you're about to say? Well, um, I, I agree, Joe, that, that uh, there are, there's... Um, Throughout Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, the, the chapters, I should say Paul, um, Paul speaks of ethnic Israel as Israel. That's true. Um, but his case in Romans 9, after Romans 9, 6, he, he makes a case that it's not inconsistent for God to choose a group of people uh, within one family to fulfill a certain purpose, that the other family members are, are not. Um, chosen to fulfill. For example, he mentions um, uh, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Now, those are both members of, um, uh, you know, the, the Israelite family, if you want to call it that. Um, so there, there were two groups. Israel uh, was um, chosen, and uh, actually it was, it was Jacob. Um, he mentions Jacob, um, but then he, he says, um, Esau hated. Now he does. He speaks of the two men, but these men represent nations. 
Um, Edom was not chosen. When he's, when he's quoting that Jacob I love, but Esau I hated, what is he quoting from? Uh, I think it's Genesis 25, 23. No. Or Genesis no, 20. Hose, Hosea. Oh, it's Malachi. Malachi. I'm sorry, Malachi, 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 Malachi chapter 1. When he's using Jacob and Esau and Malachi, he's not talking about the individuals. He's talking Ex about the nations. And, and that's exactly my point. And my, and my point is that um, he, what he's doing is he's saying there is, within one family, there's one line that's chosen and another line that's rejected. Not, and it, that has nothing to do with salvation. It's talking about fulfilling a national purpose. So, um, and he makes the point, he makes that point to reinforce what he's saying about Israel. He's saying even within the same family of Israel, there's one group within that family that's chosen for a certain purpose, and the, the others are not chosen for that purpose. And the ones that are not chosen, of course, are unbelieving Israel. They've been broken off the olive tree. The, the, the uh, Jewish Christians have been chosen. And what have they been chosen for? Well, to, uh, to fulfill uh, the messianic mission. They've become part of, of the church. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's the idea there. So when he says not all are Israel who are descended from Israel, his point is that God choosing one group uh, within the same family is not inconsistent with the way God has dealt with um, families before. Esau and Jacob um, is, is one example. There are other examples. Um, Ishmael and Isaac is another example. Uh, Isaac was, his line was chosen and Ishmael's was not. And again, that's so not for salvation, we're getting that's for into, national purpose. We're getting into a discussion of election now. And again, that's why this, this whole mm -hmm. ball of worms, right? It's always interrelated. Sure. So instead of, instead of delving off into another topic. Let me just grant that everything that you just said is true, even though I, again, I'd have some nuance that I would, I would disagree with. None of that says that this other unbelieving part of Israel isn't Israel. It is well, still Israel. I, that's true. That's true. They are, they, they are still ethnic Israel. Yes. But, but they're, but they're not the Israel that at the present time was chosen to fulfill the messianic right. mission. But I, I disagree with that because as the as the chapter continues, God is talking about how He uses He is He has still chosen them that Israel, this nation that He chose, is still completing the purpose that God uh, has intended. He talks about their rejection is the acceptance of the world, and so God has a purpose in election that we right, do not want to mingle the, the word. No, it, no, it isn't. We, us being grafted in right now is because these other branches have been grafted off. That's us. That's for us right now. So, so the church exists because of of I the think fact you're misunderstanding that they're. Me though. I'm 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 really curious, Joe. So I'm making a, I'm making a different point than where you were going. I said I grant the point that you're talking about. I'm I'm adding on to the discussion of what. Well, you what, I, what I'm saying say. though is that that's why there's two Israels mentioned, two groups mentioned in Romans nine six because Paul goes on to say this is not inconsistent with what, what God has done in the past, choosing one family member over another, no, even from the same again, family. Again, none, none, so, none of that's in dispute. What okay. all well, I'm what saying... I'm just saying that's why he says yeah. what he says in Romans 9, 6. But the, for your position to be correct, you said it over and over again in the, in, the, in the last video, that the groups that are being described here are unbelieving Israel and Israel. Believing Israel and unbelieving Israel, unbelieving Israel and Israel, you're using it that way. Then now you're going to, you're going to do a theological sleight of hand and now say spiritual Israel. That's the well, part that I'm pushing back on. Okay. I don't think it says it here. I think I can prove that again. We need a more, uh, um, unfortunately we need a more technical case, uh, from the Greek because 
I, I understand that all of us come into this text, and this is, like I said, I, I, I realize I'm capable of being the one who's doing it. I think it's you who's doing it, but I, I want to hear you because I think if I have the blind spot in this area, then you can help me see it because we've talked about that. I, I can't see my own blind spot because it's by definition my own. I believe that you guys already have an idea in mind and you read this text and then you think it means something um, simply because you already have that presupposition. And yet the, the, the presupposition that I have is one that you actually share and you use it until it's inconvenient and then you switch it. You say that this is believing Israel and unbelieving Israel. We're still using the term Israel. That's what we were describing yesterday. Who is Israel? Who is Israel? Unbelieving Israel, believing Israel. And then all of a sudden there's this other group, spiritual Israel, which nowhere is in the text. And you say, we just read it. It's in Romans 9, 6. There's two Israels, you say. But I'm saying you're, you're, you're not saying two Israels. You're saying a third Israel. There's believing Israel, unbelieving Israel, and then there's spiritual Israel. There's this well, let, me, group. let me explain what I mean by that. Um, Romans 9, 6, there's, I think, two Israels. There's the Israel that's been cut off and the Israel that's remained attached to the olive tree. Um, in Romans 9, uh, later, I think it's in verses 22. That was two Israels right there. The, the one that was cut off and the one that remains. It's still Israel, though. True. Yeah, definitely true. Greg so, says no. Why well, no? I, well, all right. So can I ask a question that hopefully will move the conversation ahead? Because we're kind of rehashing the same argument that we had last week. Well, and, it is, uh, it which, is critical, unfortunately. I, Go ahead. You, you hear me saying it's not critical? No. I, I'm, but unfortunately, when we don't have agreement, I mean. Well, I'm, tr I'm trying to is, try to get to yeah. agreement because by asking this question. So as we're sitting here, um, I've looked at the NASB. I've looked at Mounts' translation. I've looked at. KJV. I've looked at ESV. I, you know, unfortunately, I, I'm not nearly as handy in the Greek as as I am in English. Um, but there is no major disagreement amongst all those textual traditions um, from from the message you you read in the NASB. So I'm I'm very curious to hear uh, what what these translations have all missed or gotten wrong or are not done properly. Yeah. Um, so, the, so, so I can, can tell you. The text yeah. yeah. So, I, I, do you have the Greek in front of you? Um, I can pull up the Greek. If you look at the Greek, I got it written on my whiteboard over here. It's Ugarpantes hoi ex Israel hutoi Israel. That's the that's the whole verse. All these major translations. So, New American Standard says, "For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel." NET says, for not all those who are descended from Israel are truly Israel. Truly isn't in the original. So they just add something. Again, they have a, 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 a motivated reading there. I think that's implied, though. Well, you, th you think it is, but it's, it's in addition to the word. There is a word for truly. Paul didn't use it. So I don't know why our translation would use it. New King James says, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Uh, the New Living Translation you, if you're not sitting down, sit down for this one. No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people, exclamation point. New Revised Standard, for not all Israelites truly belong to Israel. Uh, TNIV, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. You're right. They are very, very similar. Here's the problem. As I look at the Greek, those are accounting, all of these are accounting for all of these words except for a near demonstrative that is left untranslated. Young's literal is the only one that I can find that actually brings it in. 
he puts it in the plural because it's matching with uh, this. He translates it these. I think this is a better translation. But the Young's literal translation says, um, for not, not all who are of Israel are these Israel. Now, that one reads differently. It actually includes all the Greek words and doesn't drop anything out. It doesn't leave something untranslated. And it doesn't bring in an additional word like truly, which isn't here. And so I say, well, that's significant. So yeah, the question is, because, uh, oh, yeah, Young's literal says, for not all who are of Israel are these Israel. Okay, so that makes, oh. I mean, uh, help me understand because that doesn't make, that, that sentence yeah. doesn't make sense in English. Right. So uh, often these, these literal translations, they're wooden, so people yeah. try and help us. Uh, my translation would be this, for this Israel is not all of those who are descended from Israel. Now, that is a, an English sentence that is not insensible. It accounts for all of the grammar. It accounts for all of the words. And this is uh, the, you know, Greg, you can double check me on this. There isn't a verb in this clause. It's a verbless clause. So this is an equative clause. We have two nominatives, two Israels that could potentially be uh, the subject of this. In Greek, this, uh, this Israel, Hutoi Israel, is at the end. However, um, by the rules of definiteness, at least the way that I learned it, when we have two things that, that could potentially be uh, the subject, um, this near demonstrative draws this to be the subject, which is why I rearrange the word order, because that's how, the, that's how English works. English and Greek don't work the same way. So when you ask the question, who is this Israel, a near demonstrative is calling into uh, to our mind something near in the context. So what is the nearest context? It's not anywhere else. It's Romans 9, 1 through 5. Who is Paul talking about in Romans 9 through 1 through 5? He's talking about unbelieving Israel. And so if you think about, let's take a step back for a second and think about Paul's ministry as we understand it. He was previously zealous for Israel, zealous for the law, zealous for the commandments. He was a persecutor of the church because he did not like what was going on. Then he meets the risen Christ. He is converted. And as the apostle to the Gentiles, his ministry method was always still Jew first and then the Gentile. Everywhere he goes, right? He tries to find a synagogue or he tries to go to where his people are. When does he turn to the Gentiles? It's when his people reject the message, right? And so when they reject, he goes to the Gentiles. And now Paul is seeing all these churches being planted. He is living through this shift of watching the, the people of God, the, the covenant people of God, as, as Eric, as you mentioned, undergo this massive transformation from being a predominantly Jewish group to now being a predominantly Gentile group. And Paul is talking about how his heart breaks because he wants his people who received the promises, who that these things belong to them, the covenants and the fathers and the, the temple, all of this stuff, it belongs to them. But they, this Israel, this unbelieving Israel, he's making a statement saying, for it's not as though God's word has failed. God has not forgotten his people, Israel. God has not uh, lost control of, of all of these things. He hasn't, again, against all the replacement theologians, he hasn't shifted to something so new, in fact, that it has now forgotten the place of Israel. This Israel, unbelieving Israel, is not all of those who are from Israel. There is a remnant, and that's exactly who he begins to describe before, that this has always been the case, that there has always been a remnant, that even when Elijah was pleading with God against his own people, saying, God, it's, it's all over. Everybody's bowed their knee to Baal. God says, no, I've kept for myself 7,000. 
it explains why he is, um, God has been patient, um, contrary to my Calvinist friends who say that God is just enduring the reprobates. God has been enduring unbelieving Israel to then bring mercy to all, that Israel still has a purpose and a plan. And so when he says, this Israel, unbelieving Israel, this group that I'm talking about, that's, that's breaking my heart, isn't all of Israel, that even though this massive number of Gentiles is coming in, there is still a believing remnant of Jews. And when he gets to Romans 11, when he talks about the fact that after the fullness of the Gentiles has been brought in, then all Israel will be saved. He's not saying that Gentiles are Israel. He's saying that all along the way, God has not forgotten his elective purpose for Israel, that even though predominantly maybe even they might be unbelieving, that there are still believers. And we all know that today there are many, um, maybe not the majority, but many who are from Jacob, the sons of Israel, who do believe in the Messiah, who do recognize that Christ has come in fulfillment of these promises. So that's, again, grammatically, all of these translations, you're right, they do read the same. They, they all inexplicably leave out this near demonstrative, which then does change the sense of what's being said. And then we're still just talking about believing and unbelieving Israel, no spiritual group, nothing else that, that um, uh, is, is required. And uh, again, we definitely don't have to go and draw the conclusions that you guys are drawing. So, okay. So, no, 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 please, please. Um, go ahead, Greg. So finishing the sentence began in verse six with verse seven. Um, nor are they all of the seed of Abraham. Sorry, I'm mm -hmm. reading from the Young's literal translation, so we're on the same page. Nor because they are seed of Abraham are all children, but in all Isaac. So would you then deny that we are the spiritual, and again, I'm using this word, but I think it's used. Would you deny that we are the spiritual seed of Abraham, that we are children of Abraham? No, because the Bible explicitly says that we are the seed of Abraham. But again, that doesn't mean that we are Israel. Specifically, if you, if you see even what Paul says about this in the book of Galatians, he says not to seeds, plural, but to seed, and that seed is yeah, yeah. what? Which is, seed is which, what? Is, which is my argument where we went last week. We didn't spend a whole lot of time there. But my argument, along with text from Isaiah, that rightly understood Christ is the Israel of God. Yeah, but see, that's the part that's in dispute. So what the text oh, I agree, it's in says, dispute, yeah. But what the text actually says is that the seed is... His son. No, it says the seed is Christ. That's the words that are used. So oh, I, okay, I'm sorry, I was, going back to Isaiah. I was going back to Isaiah, sir. Isaiah 49.3 says, uh, I mean, we can read it again. Um, Let's go there. It, so the, the, the sentiment, while you're turning there, I guess... Um, from Romans 9 is he says this unbelieving Israel is not all from Israel. Not all descendants of Jacob are unbelieving. And then he also says, but they're not all, all saved. And these are things that we all agree with, that unbelieving Israel, when they don't believe, they are not saved. They are broken off from the promises that were initially given to them. Those, those issues aren't in dispute. I don't think we all agree on that fully. Then we Gentiles who are grafted in, we become children of Abraham. And how do we do that? Again, it's mostly semantics because we all end up in the same place. We do agree that this is the same body. But all I'm saying is that it says that we are 
Abraham's seed, he doesn't say in Israel, he says in Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 are talking about. And if you continue on, it's a bunch more. It's always in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You guys are saying that it's in Israel or in spiritual Israel, which again, I understand you think is a logical conclusion, but the text doesn't actually explicitly say it. You need to pin, you need to bring things together. And the language that I'm using is the exact language that they use over and over and over again. I don't have to bring two and two together. All of the verses that we're looking at still say the things that I'm saying every single time that we look at it. It's in Christ. Where did Christ come from? The, the conversation that Jesus had with the, the woman in Samaria, you know, our people believe that salvation is from this mountain. Your people believe he's, salvation is from the Jews. So Israel produces the Messiah. That doesn't make Jesus Israel in the sense of what you guys are saying. He is a part of the mission of Israel to bring salvation to the nations. It is in Christ, not in Israel, that our salvation is found. That, to me, is just plainly what the text says, and it requires zero other inferences because it just is what the Bible states over and over and over again. So, again, Isaiah 49.3, we can read it if uh, that's what we're going to do. I mean, it doesn't say something different than what I'm saying. Right? Well, let's just start there because we're talking about whether or not Christ is Israel. We're, but we're uh, doing part two. Now. We're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not doing what we said we're going to do. That. We'll, get, we'll get to the, uh, the future of Israel here. I doubt Short, it. Shortly, my short I mean five hours. <laughs> yeah, um, five five hours. But, uh, so, as I read Isaiah forty nine three, and I read the context, it, I think there's, I think there's good reasons to believe that this is talking about. Can, um, I'm sorry. Could, right. Before we do, before we do that, can we can we go ahead and start with one, and I don't know, go through five and six? Um, sure. Yeah. I, you, I, you I, really I don't. Do I don't like. The, yeah. I don't. I. I think. I think without doing the work of those other verses, I think you could argue we're going out on a limb if we just if we just do three. Sure, totally. Um, Isaiah forty nine one. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me, and I'm reading from the NASB in case anyone's yep, wondering. Yep, so am I. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword, and the shadow of his hand he has concealed me, and he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the, from the womb to be my servant, that's the same person, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. I just want to make a observation here. Uh, this servant can't be the nation of Israel because this servant is supposed to bring Israel back to God. So it bring makes, Jacob, but which is, yeah, that's the same thing. So I, I, I'm, I'm just making sure we don't argue. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, so I think what he's saying is, well, here's what he's not. Here's what he wouldn't be saying. He wouldn't be saying, "I'm going to raise up the nation of Israel to bring the nation of Israel back to myself," because that would be incoherent. I think the, the 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 Israel, the person here, cannot possibly be the nation because that would that would render the the language unintelligible. He says, "Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel?" I so will can also. I- can I pause you for a second? Yeah. 
can you show me here in verse five? Because you asserted it's the same person. Mm-hmm. But can you can you point to a place where it says, because it doesn't say, and now says the Lord who formed me, Israel, from the womb to be his servant. You asserted this is the same person. But Okay. Well he says he says servant in verse five, and in verse three he says, You are my servant, Israel. So it, right. it, it makes it sound like it's a it's a continuation. Yeah, of, but if if of this is if this is verses. the if this is the interpretive practice that you're going to have, we're going to run into a number of places in the servant songs uh, throughout the book of Isaiah, where it is clear to us at some point that Jesus is being described, and then Israel is being described, the nation. Going well, sure, back that, to verse that happens four, even here in verse six, right? Well, and and also yeah, that's, in verse that's four. Exa- that's exactly my point: is that, that that the servant Israel is raised up to bring the nation of Israel back so to we God. Don't, None of us disagree about that. But what you've asserted is that there is, I mean, the New American Standard, as I'm looking at it, there's a separation uh, in my margin. They have verses one through four are lumped together. Does your translation not have then a little paragraph break between it does. those? There's a, there's yeah. a paragraph break between verses so, four and five. Yep. And then there's another one between seven and eight. Mm-hmm. The language, verse five, says, and now says, I know that you guys you know, point to that in the book of Revelation, for example, that this is not necessarily giving an exact chronological continuation. And yet for this, you're saying it has to be the same person. Well, dealing with two different types of literature, perhaps that's the case, yes. But there is a... So, so every this, time this we poetic, see and, it's a new... Every time no, we see and now, we, we have All to, I'm saying well, is that you're, you're making Even assertions chronological, that are not the, the necessarily a part. Maybe. Maybe he goes, it does. Well, he, he goes on to say this in verse I 6. Can, hang on a second. Verse, verses 5 and 6, I agree with you, definitely talk about the Messiah. In fact, the New Testament tells us explicitly that verse 6 is fulfilled in Jesus. It also talks about in the book of Acts that it's fulfilled in Paul and Barnabas. Well, do you think, though, that because initially when this verse is quoted um, in the New Testament, it's applied to Jesus because Jesus really was, I mean, the, the light to the Gentiles. That was but it really, also applies to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, he says that he made us a light to the Gentiles. Well, Paul and Barnabas are two people. The servant is one person. So I, but they I think quote this verse to say that this is them. Well, I think they were, they were spreading this light further because, because Christ, or Christ is, the, is the light. He's the light. Paul, Paul and Barnabas were spreading the light even further and doing what, what Christ called them to do. So I don't, I don't think it's inconsistent to say that this, to say that the, the light is... is You're just giving Christ. a just so explanation. Can, I'm going to read Acts 13, 47, mm-hmm. which is citing this passage, which I think is more authoritative than yours and mine opinion on what this verse means. I'll start at verse 44. It says, The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are even turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Paul and Barnabas are this, 49.6. So, so are you retracting your words when you said this is, this is referring to Christ? Because you said that earlier. No, the Bible says that it is referring to Christ. It is also referring to Paul and Barnabas. But are you saying that Paul and Barnabas are Israel? Are we ever found that we're in Paul and Barnabas? 
You're making this about being that this is just about Jesus. And then you're going back to verse three saying that that says Christ is Israel, which then again allows you the ammunition to then say, well, Israel is Christ and Christ is Israel. But what about verse four? How do you interpret verse four? Who is this that is speaking? Who is this that says that they've toiled in vain and spent my strength for nothing in vanity? Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. Who do you understand that to be, Joe? The nation of Israel. Well, if that's the case, why does he say, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord? Do you think, in what sense was the justice due to them in the Lord? The, the questions that even that you quoted earlier before of when God tells them, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau I've hated in Malachi. What, what is that an answer to? The nation of Israel was always wondering, God, do you even love us? What's the point? We go through all these difficulties. So much of the Old Testament is about, we, we've, we're your people, and yet we look around, these other nations are more prosperous than us, or we, we look around and, and things aren't going the way that we expect. You, you want to tell me that this sounds more like Jesus? Jesus says, I have toiled in vain? Why would Jesus say that? Jesus says, I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity? You want to put those words in the mouth of Christ and not in the nation of Israel? I don't. That's exactly uh, after verse 3. And so a nation that would speak this, then to have another servant that would come and bring Israel back to God, well, that's what the book of Malachi is about, that Elijah was going to come and turn the hearts of the people back to the fathers. Christ comes as the ultimate fulfillment, but there are places in Isaiah where the servant is clearly his nation, and then there is the pinnacle of this these servant songs that is fulfilled in Jesus. But if we're going to rely on Isaiah 49.3 and said, this says Christ is Israel, no, it does not. Now, the Bible well, does think, apply think, verse 6 to I Jesus, but it also applies verse 6. Support to that. It also applies verse 6 to Paul and Barnabas. So well, there's another are we going to say too. that Paul and Barnabas are Israel? And if they are, in what sense is it not that they are natural Israel just like Jesus is? All the genealogies that people think are boring, Jesus didn't just pop into existence. He was born and he is Israel. But not in the sense that that means that he has this other, like this other sense that you guys are going beyond. So again, well, I, I just, my, my, you asked me how I handle simple. this. My, my point is in verse three, he says, you are my servant, Israel. Mm -hmm. this, it's, I think the servant is the same servant in verse five. I okay, think, but okay, so. you're, you're asserting that the servant is definitely the same servant as in verse four. Because they're, those are even closer linked together. And do you think that's Jesus? You think that Jesus said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. That sounds a lot like the I'm, cry of, of the nation of Israel over and over and over in the Old Testament. I can't think of a single place where Jesus would say something like that. I've, I've well, worked it, for nothing. Here's this, there's, there's a possibility here, and I grant you that, as you said earlier, and you may be, you may be right, um, there are some texts where it, the language bounces back and forth from uh, Christ to Israel. This is very common in the prophets, so I, I do acknowledge that. As a matter of fact, it, uh, the, the, uh, the example that I often use is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he's talking about, uh, he's originally talking about Solomon. Yeah. And, and he says, um, you know, if he, if he uh, you know, commits sins, I will, I will uh, discipline him with, with a rod and this and that. Mm -hmm. um, but then he, then he goes on to say, he says, uh, you know, you are my son. And that it, so it, the context makes it sound as if he's talking entirely about Solomon, but then we read in Hebrews that verse, the same verse quoted and applied to Christ. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is certainly true 
that uh, that sometimes the language does bounce back and forth. That's that's entirely true. But also, um, you know, ver- verse five. Verse five uh, does sound like something that Christ did. Now, verse four is debatable. Uh, verse five sounds like that's what Christ's goal was, was to bring Jacob back to to God. Um, and verse six can be applied to Christ. So I, if, if we had this one verse alone, you know, th- that would be, it would be questionable. Um, although, I, I don't know, I, I, in my opinion, I think there's good reasons to believe that this is talking about Christ, the Israel here. But, you know, then we also have uh, many parallels. I agree with you for Israel verses five and, and six. I agree with you for verses five and six. I don't agree with you for verse three. But I, th- I but think, I think that, that is a much more debatable matter. It, it's it's certainly debatable, but I also think though that the parallels between Israel and Christ strengthen um, the idea that Christ is in some sense Israel. He's the true Israel. Uh, Israel he is the, the vine. He is the Christ f- is the true vine. I I agree with all of those things, and I'll just state one more time: anybody who wants to look into it, look into any logic book that you want to. The composition fallacy or the part whole fallacy. Of course, there is some continuation between God's plan, why he chose Israel in the first place. He brought forth the Messiah from Israel. But no matter how many parts that you can find of parallels that say that, that does not mean that Christ is Israel. That conclusion is an illogical conclusion that is not a logical principle, and it's being put forth as if it is the necessary, obvious inference. You you said to me last video that you thought I was working so hard to avoid the obvious. And I'm telling you that it's obvious to you, but it's not a logical conclusion. It's a possible conclusion, but it is not anywhere close to necessary. And all I'm pleading for is to say, if we just stick with what the text says, why can't we do that? Why do we have to demand or require this? And I think, I still think that it is because some of your other views require it. That's why we cling to it so hard because it's needed. I, I don't, as far as this topic, I don't really, I don't have a dog in the fight. I, I came to this to this belief um, independently of people, and part of the reason was I. And I'm not saying going to college is bad. I think it's a good thing. I think it'd be very helpful. Can be bad for sure. It can be. I mean, it it's, it can be. But I came to this sort of as a blank slate. I didn't have any presuppositions about Israel, about who um, who Israel was. I, I had no presuppositions about it, um, and I I also would say that. Um, you know, you're talking about going beyond the text. I don't know if it's a matter of going beyond the text. I think it's a matter of how we interpret the text. We have different interpretive methods, uh, and I understand your 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 method. I think that's um, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, but if I'm not sure how much time I want to spend on this, I want to revisit Romans nine because we spent about think, an hour on it. I wanted to spend uh, an hour less because <laughs> we we already had this Amen. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Well, I, I just if, if if I could just briefly, and I'm not trying to take up all of our time, and I just I just just very very briefly. Um, I now maybe you misunderstood me uh, last week, but I actually never disagreed with you that the Israels mentioned in Romans nine six are both ethnic. I never denied that. Actually, um, I, I what I what I did say was, I said even though. Both Israels in Romans nine six are ethnic. I said that, and and just to just to give the the basic meaning of Romans nine six, I think is very clear. 
Romans 9, 6 is just saying this. Uh, not all Israel um, to whom the promises... So in other words, God made certain promises to Israel. and But he didn't make those promises to Israel unconditionally. That's why only the believing remnant received the promises. The other Jews were cut off. So the, both Israels are ethnic. But the Israel that received the promises, um, they're, they're a, in a sense, a separate Israel, not ethnically. They're both ethnic Israel. My point was this. The point that I was trying to make was later in Romans 9, when he says this, he's, um, and this is Romans, I think it's uh, 9.23. And he did so to make the riches of his glory up, uh, upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who is not, uh, was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. So my point was just simply that, yes, both Israels in Romans 9-6 are ethnic, Gentiles have become a part of that people. Well, and, so I, I'm with you up to this point. This, this prophecy in Hosea is one of the things that after our conversation, I, I looked into a little bit more. This prophecy in Hosea, now he's talking about bringing in the Gentiles, says that we'll be called the sons of God. And I told you guys last time when, when we, you know, Greg wanted us to start here. And, and although this isn't where I started, it seems perfectly suitable. So I appreciate that. And, and I wanted to prepare for this conversation, um, the initial conversation. And so I went through and I, I reread through uh, every verse that I could find uh, about what God says about Israel. It's funny, I started to build a, a spreadsheet uh, about this because I want to have the data because I can't remember everything. It seems the older I get, I forget more and more. Um, and so on my spreadsheet, I had um, some of these different classes and categories of, is this natural Israel? Or is this an individual? And then I had their spiritual Israel and I had, you know, um, you know, not just corporate, but individual, but, but, but for the church. And I was looking cause I, I knew that that's something that you guys were talking about. And as I was going through, I had to go back and add another category, which I wasn't anticipating, which was the sons of Israel. Uh, and this is a phrase that occurs more than 600 times in the Old Testament. Sons of Israel, sons of Israel, sons of Israel, um, sons of Abraham, sons of Israel, sons of Abraham, sons of Israel, sons of Abraham, sons of Israel. This prophecy says that they'll be called the sons of God. That's not phrasing and, and, and discussion and language that's used of Israel. This is something that's talked about the church. And I'm glad that you brought up 2 Samuel 7. The only person who was ever called said, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me was given to the lineage, the very, the very chosen specific lineage of David, Solomon, and the kings. And so ultimately the, the Messiah comes and he is the true son of God. And you're right. Unlike Solomon, the father never has to discipline Christ for his sin because Christ never sinned. And he's the sinless lamb of God. And he's the firstborn among the dead, like you said, which is Israel. Uh, Israel's the firstborn, but David was also the firstborn. And so now these, these, there are these parallels, and we say, well, okay, well, which one of these are we going to apply to? Well, Jesus then becomes the high priest over the household of God, which Levi and the house of Levi, they were never over the household of God. They were over the house of God, but nobody dwelt in the house. And so now we have this new order of a priest, which isn't the Israel uh, order, that merges king and priest together, not the order of Aaron, but the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus is the firstborn over the household of God, that he might be the, the, the 
the firstborn among many brethren. And so all of a sudden, this, this language is very different. And then the symbolism of the veil being torn and, and us having access to draw near and to call God our Father. This idea of sons of God, this is so much better than what we had in Israel. And so to say that we are now in Israel, that the, the new terminology that's given um, isn't that we are in Israel, it's that we are in Christ. And this is so much more glorious. And that's what I want to preserve. And I don't think that we benefit by blurring those lines. And a prophecy like this, I think Paul is finally getting it. He was like, you know what? With all my rigor, with all my taking the law seriously and being a student of Gamaliel and on all the stuff that I was doing, I was never called a son of God. And now in Christ, with Gentiles, I'm a son of God. And this hopefully is going to woo uh, to jealousy, um, to, to make jealous those who are unbelieving that over time more and more um, of, of the ethnic Israel would participate in these promises and realize that the promises in Christ are even better, which of course, I think we all agree, the book of Hebrews is all about. Everything's better. He, he's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. The, the new covenant's better than the old covenant. The fact that we are the temple of God, that God actually dwells in us, that we are members of God's household is so much better than simply just having the temple in our land and being able to come there three times a year. Uh, and, and none of us are, have access to the Holy of Holies. Now we can boldly draw near. We can come near because we are sons. When Jesus teaches us even to pray, our Father who art in heaven, this is such a, a level of intimacy that didn't exist in Israel. And so, of course, these are continuations. Of course, these are, there's, there's, there's some overlap. Um, but again, the, the parts that overlap, the parts that touch, as soon as we go a step beyond, in my opinion, we're becoming Judaizers. We're trying to then now bring in other aspects. Definitely not Judaizers. Well, we don't, we don't think we're being that. But as soon as we go a step beyond, think of if you were, if you were zealous for, for the law and all these things, people come and say, look, we believe in the Messiah. They're like, that's great. But look at all the stuff that, I mean, the New Testament wasn't written at that point. You got to take on circumcision. And Paul's like, no. Because you're well, not Israel, they, you don't have to go back to Israel. Well, and and that's and that's why, Joe, I, I repeatedly made um, a distinction la uh, last episode. Uh, I said the church is not national Israel. The old covenant's gone; it's obsolete. Uh, yeah, we Romans, all agree. On I'm that. not Romans, but uh, Hebrews chapter eight, uh, verse thirteen. Um, now, there's just one last point, and I I didn't finish my point from from last time. Did I cut you off? Well, you you just you meant you mentioned something that was consistent with what I was saying. I see. All right. Well, I'm sorry if I cut you off. That's all right. So in in uh, in Romans nine, it's talking about bringing these the Gentiles into this group with with the Jews. Okay. Now in Romans eleven, uh, notice what's being discussed. What's being discussed? Actually, not not Romans eleven, but Romans nine through eleven. It's all about the identity of Israel. Okay, there's 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 an Israel um, that's been rejected, but then Israel's been um, blessed with the promises. Okay, now the I grant you that in Romans nine six specifically, he's talking about two ethnic groups, unbelieving and believing. Now where where I push back is in Romans eleven, the the olive tree symbol is applied to, and I believe the body that he's describing there is the church. Uh, and he uses the olive tree symbol to apply it to the church. Now, I think in, in, your, in the previous episode, there was a, a text that came up that, that said something like, 
the olive tree can be used as a symbol for all sorts of things or so, something like that. It's not so, exclusively used for the nation of Israel. Okay, true. Definitely this true. is an agricultural thing that they understood. And so, true. Uh, yep. to, to... No doubt. No doubt. Here, th this is my pushback. I find it very hard to believe, though, that Paul was using the olive tree in Romans 11 in a way where it did not represent Israel, given the fact that the entire discourse from Romans 9 through 11 is, is all about Israel and, and more than that, the identity of Israel. I don't want to I, cut you off, but I, I don't, we don't disagree on that. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't represent Israel. What I'm saying is that that continuation and what he's talking about, he's using this symbol that probably was understood for that. And then it's not the same tree because now he's talking about things being broken off and things being grafted in. Well, the branch now he's the talking same, about this as a is. new, well, this is, it, it, we're, I don't want to go back around the, the carousel for, for the discussion of identity, but he doesn't call it Israel. He calls it a new body. And so when he calls it a new body, which you granted, you said all that stuff before, what is the name for the new body? Never spiritual Israel. Where, well, the new where Jerusalem, this, I think. Which is, but where which could is, this new body come from? Which this, is new body couldn't, this new body couldn't possibly come from any other source. So yes, Israel had a purpose in bringing about this new body. And the new Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem, I believe is something that we're waiting for. You said it's in heaven, heavenly Jerusalem. Well, we're, we're, it says, the Bible says we're enrolled as citizens in it right now, though. Right. So I do believe that in the millennial kingdom, I, my interpretation of all those things is different than your guys'. I don't think that that's happening now. I believe that that will literally be in the same area of land that has been being warred over for the past, you know, I don't know, ever, forever. Uh, and that we will actually go, that Jesus is, when he returns the second time, his feet will touch down on the literal Mount of Olives. And I believe that the remnant of Israel will be saved, and then we will we will come back with him because the first resurrection will happen, and we will have a literal one thousand year reign in Jerusalem. And in that time, when we're talking about Israel, it's not a spiritual sense. We're talking about actual Israel again, and the heavenly Jerusalem comes down. But we're on that area of land that we all still call Israel, which is again one of the areas that we agree that the the term Israel can be used for that. So. Um, what I'm not disagreeing with um, is that those that terminology exists. Again, as we talk about the future, which is what this conversation is supposed to be about, um, it, it does seem that there is, uh, again, that's my view of the future. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. Um, and if this is a good segue into that, fine. But that language of saying that we're citizens, we're aliens and strangers now, then that means we're not, you know, I'm not Israel. And when the millennial kingdom comes, it seems that there will still be other nations at that time. Will we be participants in that? And will we be reigning in that? We will. Um, but that's not, uh, again, that doesn't allow me to then, when I read Revelation, for example, and, and we see these, you know, 144,000 who are sealed from the tribes of Israel to say, well, that's the church on earth. Like, I, 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 it's, that's the stuff that I just don't agree with. And I think where we radically disagree and where I think that the conversation we're having right now is required for you guys to be able to hold that view because we say, well, the church is Israel and Israel is the church in a spiritual sense. And, and that's why I say it's a spiritualized interpretation. Um, Not necessarily. And, if you take a partial preterist view, you don't, you don't have to come to that conclusion. Sure. 
I mean, again, we can, Greg's right. I mean, whatever hermeneutic we, we start with, we can end up, you know, wherever we, I guess, wherever we want. The question is, how is the, you know, how is the language used? And not all of these hermeneutics are right. Maybe mine's wrong. Maybe yours is wrong. Maybe we're both wrong. Uh, we definitely can't all be right because we end up with very different conclusions. True. Well, uh, on that note, uh, Joe, why don't we uh, turn on Greg and, um, Let's get him. <laughs> and Greg, Greg's, I mean fall, Greg's falling asleep. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into the meat today because uh, we. So now, been, now that we're through with the introduction, we can we the, can get the, on to the, the topic. The hour and eight minute introduction is over. <laughs> uh, now we can get into the topic at hand. Um, so, it, is it, is there a future for ethnic, or you could say national Israel? Does does ethnic national Israel? Is that have the question? Though, like uh, again, we haven't. And I don't think we're going to, so don't please, please don't hear me say, let's argue it again. We still haven't agreed on a common set of terms. So is there a, you know, is there a future for ethnic Israel? Well, yeah, there's a present. There, what, what, what do we mean by future? Um, okay. Let me be very specific about it. Yeah. In Romans 11, verse 26. Actually, let me start at verse 25 because 26 isn't a complete Start at seven. Romans 1. Let's just. <laughs> let's start at Romans 9, 1, read all the way to eleven twenty six. Um, for I, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them, and I take away their sins. So my question is, uh, is this saying that Israel will be saved in the future. That is uh, ethnic Israel, or does it mean something else? Um, what, what, or what? I, I could just say this: What does it mean? What, what does Romans eleven twenty six mean? Sure. Um, so, in in my attempt to answer this, I have to recognize that there's a whole lot of baggage that comes along with this, right? Like, um, there is an assumption that this means that that the fullness of the Gentiles having come in, there's an assumption that that means the church is now raptured and they're gone and God is only dealing. I, I don't, and again, I don't see that from the text. Um, I think that's as much or more of a, of a, of a leap than, um, than I'm making with the, with the um, Romans nine, six and seven argument. When we say all Israel being saved or will be saved, there is, um, there is an understanding that we are only talking about an eschatological one particular point in time. All right, um, all of Israel will be saved. Well, well, surely it won't be because again, we've we've already recognized and admitted that there are um, ethnic people that count as ethnic Israel right now, dying as I'm speaking, that won't be saved because they aren't in Christ. So. The way I interpret that is because I hold to the distinction that is drawn in every major English translation, that there is a, a distinction between ethnic Israel and some believing Israel. Now, if we don't, if we want to continue to disagree about does, does the, do the pictures that we get all throughout the New Testament of one flock, one family, one citizenship in one nation and i again we're going to disagree on ephesians uh, ephesians 2 um, one tree 
do we want to maintain two uh, two people so that those brought into the household of God, those brought into the tree, those brought into the flock, uh, that that they are still different somehow, um, so that we say that what do you, Gentiles... What do you mean when you say different? You th- is that how you're yeah. hearing my argument? Is that what you're hearing? Well... Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I'm. Hold on, I agree me... with everything you just said. The only thing I would say, Greg, is that the people are called consistently the church. The one flock is called the church. The one people is called the church. I don't think you disagree with any of that. Yeah, I. I and again, I. So th- then, this, the implications this... that you're making don't have anything to do with that. Okay. Well, let me <clears throat> let, let, let me no, jump no, in. Please, please, like Greg. I mean, I, but. There is a, that's a real question because it sounds like you're here, like everything that you just said that you want to preserve, we agree on. The only thing I'm saying is that that body, that group is called the church. And then you're like, well, if it's called the church, I guess then now we're trying to maintain two, but no, no, I'm not. Israel means Israel. That is a, that is a, a title that applies to some people. If you believe in Israel, you're part of the church. If you don't believe, then you're not part of the church. We agree with that. So again, what is this other thing that you're then adding? Because it sounds like you're talking to me, but I don't. I, that's not my view. I don't know what I. I don't know what you're talking about. And so then, if you're like, well, if we're saying this, I don't know who's saying that. Is is my question? Because we agree that if we call it the church, everything you just said about the unity, one flock, one people, one group, I agree. And Eric kept asking me that last time. He's like, well, it's like you're saying that there's two groups. I'm not saying that. I've never said that. I wouldn't say that. I'm not saying it now. I didn't say it before. I won't say it in the future. I won't say it, you know, with socks or with green eggs and ham or any other way. I'm saying that the one people, the one flock is the church. We're one in Christ. We all agree on that, I think. So then any implications you want to draw beyond that, now you're you're Im- imposing something on me that um, I'm... I'm not saying, and it's making that kind of negative inference where you're saying, well, if you say this, then that must mean this. But I, I don't mean those other things. Well, Joe, I, I was a little bit confused by um, some of the things you said last, last week because on the one hand, you were saying that, uh, yes, it's one body. But then you said, well, uh, the, uh, it's, the Gentiles are, are, are still Gentiles, which ethnically I think is, is certainly true. We agree, um, but we're we're part we're we're only participating, and I think that was the part that was confusing was you were drawing a distinction between participating and then whatever else, whatever the Jews were doing, as if they were it, that was it was two separate things. I'm not and, sure again the the that language. Greg asked me where I get that language. That's what Paul says. So if you guys are confused by me, you're also confused by Paul. He says we are we the promises were given to Israel. Yep. Gentiles previously, in order to participate with those promises, needed to do everything that the Judaizers were saying. Take circumcision upon yourself, become a citizen of Israel. Now, though, in Christ, that's not how we do it. And we all agree the Judaizers are wrong. They were previously right, but now they're wrong. Why? Because they're not understanding that how we participate in those promises, they then become our promises because we Fully participant, Greg interjected, full participants, agreed, 100%, full participants as Gentiles in Israel. Nope, that's where I push back. In Christ, that's where we all agree. 
And so when I say in Christ, then you guys are so confused about what I'm saying. But well, that's well, what the Bible is, says. Okay, well, this is one of the reasons that I'm confused, because I thought just a minute ago you said that the olive tree in Romans 11 does represent Israel. You said it probably did. But the olive tree is the body of Christ. So does it, does it or does it not represent Israel? That, see, you just you did the you did the equivocating in the. the well, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. I'm not saying you are saying this or that. I just want to know what it is that you are saying. I, I'm not, I'm not claiming using, that you said anything. Do you guys believe that the church always existed? Uh, in a sense, yeah. I think there's always. Weird. I think there's always. Been so a you think the church people. always existed, Greg? Do you think the not church the always existed? Church. No, I don't think the church always. When do you think the church began? Um, the most, the most typical visual is Pentecost. Pentecost, Acts 2. That's when I believe the church began. Eric, okay, do you well, believe if, that? If you or define you, the you church disagree? as a called out assembly, I mean, you could say there's always been a people called out to, to God throughout history. Now, has the, the New Testament church, I grant you, is totally unique. It's not the same as, as Old Testament. So Jesus uh, says, I'll build my church. Yes, absolutely true. That's, that's, that has that a sense. very distinct meaning. I totally agree. Yeah. So there was a group of people that God called out before, made of them a nation, Abraham, yeah. Isaac, Jacob. What did he call them? Israel. Mm -hmm. Now we have this other group that he's called out, begins at Pentecost. We receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We become the temple of God. It transcends geographical borders. This is the church. Could the church logically precede Israel or does Israel necessarily have to precede the church? The, the church comes forth from Israel, right? God chose yes. the nation of Israel to bring forth the church. Paul says, I'm bringing to light this mystery. So when he's using in the language of the tree and he's saying Israel had this purpose and now Gentiles are being brought in, the point of his imagery is exactly the opposite. I think of what you're saying is that it was, we're, we're all just Israel. No, we're not all just Israel. Well, Israel has brought no. forth this thing. And what he calls this thing is the body of Christ. What he calls this thing is the church. What he calls this thing is never spiritual Israel. And so again, you're making an inference and saying, well, he didn't say that, but what he means is this. Whereas I'm saying, well, what he said is this. And so what he means is what he said. And then again, there's some confusion of, of, of thinking that I'm then denying like the role of Israel. I'm not. I'm not denying the, the necessary um, logical, chronological, actual, literal fulfillment of what Israel was so that the church could exist. Um, but what is that new group called? Consistently, it's always called the church or the body of Christ. It's never called that extra thing. So all of my pushback is not in the identity of believing Jew and believing Gentile in the body of Christ. We all agree on that. It's in adding on this extra title that it seems you guys have, have acknowledged doesn't exist in scripture anywhere. Well, and yet when I say you're going beyond the text, you say, well, I'm not stated. really going beyond the text. Well, it, well not, it's not, not stated. No, I mean, that I think that the text says that the church is represented by an olive tree. And I don't think so. Um, well, so I, the, I think I, both, who, the only people that are, that are on the tree are, are the body of Christ, believing Jews and Gentiles. And when you say all, it's the same tree, it isn't, though. Something's dramatically different. Branches have been broken off and other branches have been grafted in. It, and so the, it's, the identity it's not, that you're saying is the same tree, tree. In, terms of its, in terms of the branches, that's true. But it has the same root. So there's some, which Paul something specifically, different. Paul specifically says that the root is the same. Um, or he says, he says the root as if the so root is the same. And the trunk is apparently the same. Offline. What's that? Again, none of that's in dispute. None of that's in dispute. Okay. 
well, offline last time after the video was over. We we continued some of the conversation and we talked about um, the 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 uh, analogy that Paul used with Hagar and with Sarah. You you remember this conversation that we had? Yep. And yep. and he was Paul was using Hagar and Sarah and saying the child of the slave woman, you know, is is present Jerusalem and the child of the of, of the, the promise. This is Jerusalem above. And we all, I think, recognized, and I'll ask you guys again now on camera, is the child of Hagar, who is Ishmael, is that Israel? Ask that again. In, in, In Galatians, when Paul is talking about the analogy of the child of Hagar and the child of promise, Mm-hmm. He says the child of Hagar corresponds to Mount Sinai, the present Jerusalem. Who is the child of Hagar? In the analogy, uh, or it, it, just about Ishmael? Or are you talking let's about? Go, I'm, that's what the child of Hagar is. Ishmael, right? Who's who? Who represents the unbelieving Jews? So, so somehow Ishmael represents present Jerusalem. Is Ishmael Israel? Uh, not literally, no. So if I were to sit here and press the analogy beyond what Paul actually says to what I think are the implications of what Paul says, and I were to say Ishmael is Israel, you guys would push back against that, yes? Well, Paul said in Galatians, and you're, you're quoting Galatians 4, Paul said he's speaking allegorically there. He said, and right. He's, and, and we know exactly what he meant. Now, You, you think I that the olive tree is not an allegory or a metaphor? Well, I think, I think, it's, I think it's symbolic. Right, and and I think that it's, I think that the, uh, I think because the olive tree, is, is a, was a symbol for Israel, mm-hmm. and the the tree. Let me ask you this, Joe. And, res- and I, this so I'll is- say, and I think because Hagar is uh, is a symbol for Ishmael, that the Ishmaelites are also Israel. No. Uh, well, this, why this not? Is, this I'm, is what I'm, I'm using the exact same line of reasoning you just used. Joe, let me ask you this: the olive tree. Um. Prior to the Gentiles being grafted in and the Jews cut off, what was the tree? It's Israel, but that's okay. The, the question is, what no. are the branches that are broken off? They're still okay. Israel. Well, they're still national Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if the if the tree was Israel, which you acknowledge, and the root of the tree has not changed, the trunk has not changed. The only thing that's changed. Are some of the branches, and not even all the branches, because some of the branches are attempting to lead me somewhere with a logical inference that goes beyond the point that Paul is making, which is you you don't want to do it with Hagar and with Ishmael, but you really, really want to do it here. Well, first of all, the the, the argument in Romans uh, Galatians four is completely different than in no, it's not. It's about us being children of Abraham. Yeah, which is the the argument that you bring. The way that these arguments are laid out is not even. I don't think it's I don't think it's close. Why? I think these are I think these are very different kinds of arguments. Why? Because in Romans eleven, Paul's talking about uh inclusion into one body. Mm-hmm. Okay, in, in Galatians four, he's talking about the difference between uh the difference between unbelieving Jews and the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't I think the arguments. And in, and in Galatians chapter four, arguments. he's talking about who is Israel, who the present Israel corresponds to this, and he says that's the child of the slave woman, that's Hagar. So Ishmaelites are Israel. That's the clear implications of what he's saying, according to your line of reasoning. Ishmaelites but for some reason, are, you say no, that's not right. 
Ishmaelites are unbelieving Israel. Ishmaelites are not unbelieving Israel. I'm going to answer your question, and then I'm going to run to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate to do that. I hate to answer the question. Um, And I'll put it this way. I believe that in a sense, the church is a typological fulfillment of, of who Israel was meant to be. And regardless, and I'm going to hold to the way that every major English translation translates uh, Romans 9, 6. And because I'm going to hold to the way every major translation translates Romans 9, 6, I'm going to say this. Either the the Israel those who aren't is the, the Israel that is Israel, whether that's ethnic or whether that's includes the church, whatnot. I believe that all that I believe that distinction, right? There, I, I get that Joe's translation doesn't make a distinction, or I I think I understand that. I regardless, you know, you know enough about Greek <laughs> to you know enough about Greek to at least no. acknowledge that there is an untranslated word. Yeah, that sure. some translations do bring in, others ones have been completely ignored. And so to give an appeal to authority, you don't believe, you believe, your your view of inerrancy is that the original is inspired, not any of our English translations. So you're now pushing the locus to say, well, these other ones all say this, but you know enough to say that I'm right about that, that there's an untranslated word and some of these other translations that say what you say, they include a word that isn't there in the original. And so, okay, you're right. There is a, a, a list of translations that translated a certain way, but you know that what I'm saying isn't nothing. What I'm saying is is something. And did, so, did you hear me say that, Joe? You have no point to make at all, and I'm just well. The, that the I'm, point that you're saying is, well, I'm just going to go with what every English translation says, and then you're going to go particularly with your interpretation of what they say. No, because I'm a, actually, when I'm that's saying not what the I'm doing. That, it's not what I'm doing. Uh, it sure no, seems it's like not. it. I'm okay. saying, May Joe, I I don't have the facilities to to do the work that you've done to come to the textual translation that you've come to. Do we agree there? I, I mean, I thought that you do have the skills to at least evaluate. Absolutely. I, I have, I have one year or one semester of Greek taught by a guy who I showed up and said, here, read this book and, and do the homework. Right. So, okay. Well, so you can, I, at I least can see that there's a word there yes, that isn't translated and that I, Young's I literal translation does bring it out. I agree. Uh, Joe, okay. I, I, I'm telling okay. you, I, I concede sure. all of that. All right. My problem isn't the fact that I can't see the Greek word. It's that the Young's tr- literal translation, which includes a word, I can't decipher. I lack the ability to do what you've done. And so all I'm saying is, is I'm going to accept what every other major English translation has done. So I'm just, all I'm saying is I'm not disagreeing with what they've done. Now, if the, if, if the presupposition is I have to disagree with them, then yeah, uh, I, I don't have an argument for what I'm still trying to say. I'm, I'm willing to concede. Well, and again, if we, if we can't agree on, on the text of, of Romans 9, 6, then I guess I have nothing to say. And I'll just sit back and continue to listen to your and, and Eric's very well laid out arguments. Well, anybody who's watching this can, whether you've taken one semester or a million semesters or zero semesters, um, you know, you, we have so much access to information. You can go to Blue Letter Bible or whatever. You can look and see that uh, the, the original Greek word is this hutos. It's a, it's a, 
It's a pronoun. It's a demonstrative. In particular, it's uh, a near demonstrative in contrast to a far demonstrative. It's calling to mind something that is near in the context. And so none of these things are, you know, I mean, you could open up as many Greek grammars as you want. They'll all say basically that same thing. And then I wonder, I just wonder, why is it that they drop this out? And, you know, um, our translators aren't immune to bias. They're not immune to uh, motivated readings. Um, all the translations have, you know, they're, they're all good. I'm not trying to, you know, cause anybody to, to be um, uh, discouraged by their English translations. But quite frankly, I have a better understanding of this passage because I hadn't, I hadn't translated this whole uh, book of Romans. I've translated parts of it before, but I hadn't done this. Um, but what you guys are saying is the clear implication as you read it. Um, before I did any of this work, I didn't, I came to a very different conclusion than you guys by reading the same English translation. We all read the new American standard. And so even when you say you're just going to go with how they've translated it. Yeah. Okay. Well, up until, uh, Friday morning, I was going with how they translated it. Um, and still was coming to a different conclusion than you guys, because I still thought that, I mean, same point that Eric continues to grant who's in view, believing Israel and unbelieving Israel. And so, you know, previous to the church, there was this group, and it wasn't always obvious who was there. The, the glory of the new covenant, you know, there, there, you could have been a participant in old covenant Israel, a citizen in old covenant Israel, and not been faithful. And, and a lot of times people, they didn't even realize that God saw it, and they're like, we're doing the sacrifices. He's like, yeah, but not with a whole heart. And we're doing the things. He's like, yeah, but you're, you're offering me junk that I don't want, and your heart's not in it, and you're going through the motions. But you could still be a member of Israel in that regard. You can't be a member of the new covenant if your heart isn't right. And so how are we participants? Like, these are all things that we agree on, but I, I, you haven't even heard my conclusion yet. Well, I right, mean, like, it's, <laughs> I okay, got just I'm, I'm, yeah. go ahead right? and share it, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that absolutely every believing Jew will be saved. I do not believe that a single person who is a Jew that refuses to bow the knee to Christ will be saved. Amen. There's my conclusion. Now, yep. now we're going to go beyond, not, not we maybe, but the, the conversation naturally goes beyond that to, well, what's God going to do with, with the nation of, I, I don't know. And, and anybody, well, I, I don't see in the text and I would love for someone to show me, show me in the text where, where it says what God's going to do with the nation of Israel after the rapture, which is the natural conversation as it, I'm goes. not sure how the rapture plays into this, but I guess we'll, well find yeah, out. Greg but, keeps bringing that in, but I'm not sure. I'm not well, sure. Well, okay. Okay. So, so let's, let's, so as long as, as long as we are pre return of Christ, um, I, I don't know where we have any argument that God's going to continue to save believing Jews and that God has a plan for the nation of Israel, just like he has a plan for every nation on earth. Are we going to, I mean, we're not arguing that God's not doing something with Guatemala and it's different than what he's doing with America. Um, I believe that God establishes nations and, and has plans for those people. Now, some of them he's going to, to strike down. Some of them he, he may very well raise up and some he's going to bless and some he's going to discipline. Um, I, I don't think we have a disagreement there. So no, the I do only, disagree with what you just said. You disagree that God doesn't have a plan for each of the nations that he's... No, not that part of it. Wait, I think that, you... that Israel has a distinct... God has a distinct purpose. Guatemala might cease to exist. Israel will not. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I, I fell short. I agree. Well, why don't we do this then guys? Um, I, if, if you want, and Greg, if you have to go to the bathroom, you, you might, you better go. Oh you know, no. See, I, maybe that's why I will, he was, I will he was hoping for the rapture so that he could, uh, uh, so I could his, relieve uh, bladder my problem. bladder. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. So <laughs> again, I, I want to make clear, like every, your clarifying rather than rupture. I don't, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, man. If it, that'd be funny right on camera. Um, <laughs> it would not. It would be, be. Come on, I would, man. It would be my, I would, my compassion for you would, uh, uh, immediately make this not funny anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I absolutely agree with your your qualifier on what I just said. And so when I talk about when I raise the point of the rapture is because as far as I can tell that's where we have that's where our disagreement starts. So that that's the only and I'm not it's not bringing it up to bash you or or to sling mud as I understand it that's where our disagreement begins. Hmm. Well, why don't um why don't you, now you I'll, guys, go to the bathroom. Uh, I'll be right back. Okay. This concludes part one of our conversation. If you're interested in part two, check it out on our website available now.